If you want to follow along, uh, we are going to land in 1 Peter chapter 5. In a little while, when we get to it, the words will appear on the screen behind. If you don't have a Bible or or some kind of device with the Bible on, uh, the words will be there as well. But if you remember in this series, we've seen how Peter is writing this letter to support and encourage a bunch of believers that I think it's fair to say are experiencing very, very real attacks. They're being treated unjustly in their workplaces. Uh, In a number of instances, they're finding their family members turning against them. They're, They're increasingly finding themselves pushed to the very margins of their society. And it's pretty relentless. They're, they're struggling to keep going. Uh, and what we've been seeing over the last few weeks is that the challenges that they faced back then are not actually too dissimilar to the situation that we find ourselves in today. Like the Christians that Peter was writing to back then were not experiencing martyrdom that they weren't experiencing state-sponsored persecution at that point. Now, of course, it would come with a vengeance, but for now, at this moment, it was more like the sporadic mistreatment, the ridicule, the abuse that we suffer here in the UK today. And what we're going to see this morning is that really of all the things that Peter could choose to focus on in the midst of this, he finishes off his letter by emphasizing the crucial need for elders, which rather cunningly fits in with where we're at right now as a church as we look to appoint seven new elders across our three sites. So uh, what I thought was, it it might be a plan uh, for us to take a look at what Peter has to say on this subject, which is why we're kind of jumping ahead we're going to open it up as we are together this morning. Uh, and like I say, we will then fill in the gaps in future weeks. But if you want to follow along, we're, we're going to pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, starting off in verse 1. Peter says this, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. This is my appeal. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now look, The challenge I'm facing straight away here is that this metaphor, this image or picture of shepherds and sheep doesn't resonate particularly deeply with us, does it? I mean, did any of you grow up on a sheep farm? Any sheep farmers? Uh, No. Do do any of you personally know a shepherd? Ah, wow. We have about seven, uh, eight people who know shepherds. Well, uh, I'd love to chat with you later and see if what I'm saying tallies with your experience of shepherds. What about this one? Uh, how many of you have seen a real live physical sheep in the last month? No, 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 not ever in your lifetime, in the last month. Okay, a few of you, a few of you have seen sheep uh, in the last month just wandering through the streets of Birmingham. So, 
nonetheless, although we have some shepherd knowers and some of us have seen sheep reasonably recently, I still think we've got a bit of work to do here to, to close the cultural gap that we have because sheep are actually the most frequently mentioned animal uh, in the Bible with nearly 400 references uh, and shepherds are referred to uh, around about a hundred times. In other words, they were a central part of life in biblical times and there was something about the qualities of shepherds and sheep that made them a particularly strong illustration for much, much, much deeper spiritual realities. For example, Psalm 23, famous psalm, it describes God as a shepherd who, if you remember, is with us, caring for us, protecting us, leading us, guiding us, feeding us, and rescuing us. Uh, later on in the psalm, Psalm 78 describes how David was chosen by God to shepherd his people. Verse 70 describes how God chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. Moses is also referred to as a shepherd of God's people in Isaiah 63. It says, then they remembered those days of old when Moses led his people out of Egypt. They cried out, where is the one who brought Israel through the sea with Moses as their shepherd? And right towards the tail end of the Old Testament, the prophet Micah stands up and he prophesies about a brand new leader for God's people who will come from Bethlehem saying he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And against this Old Testament backdrop, Jesus appears striding onto the scene, very soon identifying himself in Luke 15 as the good shepherd. In John 10, he takes it a step further by describing how the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And in Matthew 18, Jesus applies all of this to his own disciples. He calls them shepherds as well. All of which, I think, goes some way to explaining why three decades after the resurrection, we find Peter using shepherds as a model for the elders in the church. Now, just to say, when we actually physically appoint Chris and James as elders in the north, uh, and Steve and Sandu alongside Owen in the west, and Ed and Rich and Tim uh, alongside myself uh, and Johnny uh, in the south, I, I will do more of a kind of verse-by-verse, word-by-word syllable by syllable exposition of this passage in 1 Peter, spelling out precisely what it looks like in practice for elders to lead like shepherds. But for the rest of our time today, I, I kind of want to take a step back uh, and set it up for those glorious mornings when we lay hands on and appoint elders. I'll take a step back and, and just highlight our desperate need for good shepherds today. Because the problem is, I think most of us have this inherent mistrust of leaders, don't we? I mean, faced with the debacle of Brexit and so many false promises that increasingly seem to be driven merely by personal interest, you know what most people's response is? Cynicism, suspicion, 
lack of respect for anyone and everyone in a position of leadership. There's been so much horrific abuse in leadership over the years. We just don't know who to listen to anymore, do we? It's like we're so suspicious of our leaders' agendas, their motives, their, their ability to actually deliver on their promises that I think we're pretty done with them right now. But you know what? Deep down, I think we still long to be led. Deep down, I think our culture aches for good leadership. It's groaning for great leaders. We still long for someone, somewhere, to give us some kind of a compelling picture of the future that we can align ourselves to and follow. The question is, who can we trust to really care for us and lead us deeper into the future that we all long for? And Peter's answer here in this passage is that those people are the shepherds or the elders in the local church who represent Jesus, the chief shepherd. Now, I'm second-guessing you here, but maybe you're thinking, actually, Jonathan, you've got me wrong. You don't know me. I don't ache for good leadership. Uh, In fact, quite the opposite. I I don't actually want to be led by anybody. One of the main things I want to see today is that if you don't consciously choose to be led, you will still subconsciously be led by something or someone. Really, at the end of the day, you are not walking into a clear future which you get to choose. You will, in some way, still be led. And so, what I want to do in the time that remains is simply lay out, as best I can, the options available to you so you, at the end of this talk, can make an informed choice about who or what you are going to follow. So here are some options. First option is cultural shepherding. Cultural shepherding. It's like all the time uh, our culture is saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's constantly calling us to follow its own vision for life. Now it does this in various ways, but the most basic way is just by nudging us in a certain direction by the choices it provides. Let me try and give you an example to earth this a bit and help you see how this works. You may remember a few years back, Jamie Oliver did a lot of work on school lunches. Do you remember that? Yeah, you remember it. Uh, He was on a mission to curb childhood obesity once and for all. And his main strategy, if you remember, was to tackle it by offering more healthy options for school dinners. And he argued that rather than giving kids the option of pizza or chicken nuggets, Coke or lemonade, cake or cookies, you really could offer some more healthy choices. But rather than giving the option of cake or an apple... Because let's be honest, the kids are always going to go for the cake. You limit their options. And instead, you offer an apple or a banana or an orange 
or some grapes. You get to choose. It's like you're influencing what they choose by limiting the options without them even realizing they're being influenced. You're actually forcing healthy eating by framing the choices in a certain way. Now, you may beg to differ, but I think that's a reasonably positive example. But our culture is insidiously doing that to us the whole time. And it's often not with our own best interests at heart. From big money-making corporations to minority groups with very clear agendas, that the goal in all of this is to architect or shape environments so that the environment ends up shaping you. And whoever controls the choices that are offered to you ends up controlling the outcome. Listen, our culture is willing to give the illusion of freedom as long as you are within the framework of the acceptable outcomes they want. And so like it or not, all the time we're being shepherded by the choices that our culture is giving us. I mean, if you think about it, isn't that pretty much the basis for our entire economic system? Really, it's built on creating and then satisfying as many perceived wants as possible. Like, the whole time the goal is to create wants and turn them into felt needs so that we can then be exploited and other people can profit from us. It's like all the time there are forces at work making us want what we want without us realizing that they are manipulating us to want it in the first place. And then on top of all of that, it's, I think, a known fact that we are most vulnerable to manipulation when things are volatile and uncertain and a little bit confused and we're feeling angry, which I think is why fake news and propaganda are so rife. That, that the goal is to whip up our emotions and create slogans and sound bites that no one is going to disagree with that then push us to behave in a certain way. Now, as we enter election season, this is going to be happening the whole time. You, you watch the news, you, you listen to the radio, look at the billboards, you look at the leaflets being pushed through your letterboxes. This is going to be ramped up quite to some level, and it's going to be relentless. And this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Or to, to look at it from a slightly different angle, I, I think two of the most abused words in the English language right now are the words hate and love. That, that they've kind of been emptied of any ethical meaning. Love is pretty much whatever you want to do, and hate is basically you disagree with me. And so the way you craft these phrases basically enables you to come up with ideologies that nobody can resist. I mean, who are you to stand in the way of true love? And if you dare to question me, then you clearly hate me. You see how the whole time 
Our culture is shaping our opinions with this well-oiled machine of propaganda that doesn't really permit any deviation. I mean, if you're honest enough to just stand back, just reflect on your life, you try telling me that you haven't been culturally shepherded with choice architecture and the selective supply of information towards a set agenda that isn't yours. And what's our response to all of this? Well, without wishing to cause undue offence, uh, I think we're just like these sheep in Turkey. Uh, here's uh, uh, a page lifted from the BBC News uh, website. Uh, this was a farming tragedy in Turkey that hit the news back in 2005. Here's the headline, Turkish sheep die in mass jump. Basically, there were 1,500 sheep, and one of them stumbled over a cliff edge, and the other 1,499 decided to blindly follow. The first 400 died, and then acted to cushion the fall of the remaining 1,100 who survived but sustained various injuries in the fall. Now, true story, and a pretty graphic illustration of why cultural influencers use the term sheeple. Just, just get a few public figures on board, a few celebrities, and everyone else will blindly follow. And I quote, by the time the sheeple wake up and try to change things, it will be too late. How are you doing? Not particularly encouraging, is it? So, where else should we look for leadership? Well, a lot of people turn to religion for guidance. That's the second option, religious shepherding. Question is, can we trust religious institutions to shepherd us well? Well, a lot of people would say, categorically not. I mean, they have a track record of abuse and control and hypocrisy and oppression and exclusion. Uh, if you take a look at religious leadership down through the centuries, it certainly doesn't seem to lead to this flourishing life. It pains me to say is that, sadly, religious leaders are often motivated by something very different from the well-being of their own followers. Now, in John 10, Jesus has this phrase or this term for those kinds of leaders. He calls them hired hands. Have a look at what he says. Verse 11 of John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Whereas a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their true shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. But the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. And in Ezekiel 34, God himself offers this stinging rebuke to these kinds of shepherds. This is what he says in verse 2. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks. Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? But you drink the milk, you wear the wool, you 
butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. See, what ends up happening is, if you don't lead out of godly vision and humility, by default, you have to push from behind. And when a shepherd pushes from behind, the sheep tend to scatter. And when the sheep scatter, the shepherd has to resort to using dogs. He unleashes the dogs to try and round up the sheep. And I think more often than not, this is a bit of a picture of what religion does. It it, it tries as hard as it can to push you from behind. It's always trying to push you towards a future of more and more and more demands. And when you can't keep up with all the demands, it then unleashes guilt and condemnation and fear and shame to try and keep you under control. And so you might move forward, but it's not out of a free heart, and it's certainly not out of a whole lot of joy. There's not a whole lot of excitement for the future, only fear of what might happen if you get left behind. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus reserves some of his fiercest words for religious leaders who led people in that kind of a way. And maybe at this point, you're like, well, after what you've said, I I don't really want to be led by the culture, and I certainly don't want to be shepherded by religion if it's going to be like that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shepherd myself. That's the third option I want to present to you, self-shepherding. Now, I get this. I do understand the suspicion of leadership and the mistrust of others that's rife in our culture right now. I get why many of us feel like, actually, we do a much better job of leading ourselves than all the other contenders out there. But I think there are a number of problems with this. For starters, I think we're often slaves to things in our own lives that if we follow them, will lead us into some pretty horrific places. For example, if you've ever battled with an addiction, and just to say, I think addiction is something we need to talk about a whole lot more as a church. Because addiction levels are through the roof right now. Whether it's alcohol, self-harm, prescription drugs, gambling, porn social media. I think more and more of us know what it is to be trapped in some kind of addictive behavior. If you've ever had an addiction, you'll know that the last thing you want to do is tell someone else about it because you feel so embarrassed, you feel so ashamed. But if you're addicted to something, what you tend to end up finding is you need help to break free. As hard as you try, you just cannot do it by yourself. Listen, the reality is, rather than leading ourselves, we very often need to be saved from ourselves. And this isn't just true of those battling addiction. Actually, 
is true of every single one of us. That there are dark parts in all of our hearts. There are things from our past that keep coming up. There are things we just can't seem to be able to break free from, however hard we try. And so, however hard we try to lead ourselves, what tends to end up happening is we get led and enslaved by our own desires. We think that we are free to make decisions, but there are all these subliminal forces at work that have shaped us and molded us and trapped us over time. Maybe it's our parents or our time in history. It could be our family dynamics, our nation of origin, our friends, our employers, social media. Really, all of this stuff is constantly at work in the background forming the way that we think. And so all the time, we think that we're making rational, autonomous decisions, but we're actually being controlled by all this unconscious stuff that's constantly influencing the way we think. It's like we have these patterns of thinking, these prejudices, these biases, these tendencies that we just can't seem to see beyond. In other words, ultimately, we don't need to be saved from our culture or from religion. We need to be saved from ourselves. Now, I'm aware this isn't the cheeriest of talks for a cold, damp, autumnal morning. Faced with all of this, what hope is there then? I mean, if we can't trust our culture and we can't trust religion, if we can't even trust ourselves, the outlook does seem pretty bleak, doesn't it? And it's into the midst of all of this that Peter, in that passage we looked at a little while ago now, he shares another option with us, a much better option. He introduces us to God's way of shepherding. And it's got three parts to it. First of all, he invites us to follow Jesus, the chief shepherd. And in case you hadn't worked this out, Jesus, I'd humbly suggest, is strikingly different in his leadership to all these other options. Unlike all the cultural shepherds and the religious hired hands, Jesus is the only one who laid down his life for his sheep. Just to be clear, Jesus isn't a failed first century philosopher. He isn't the tragic victim of political powers outside his control that brought his life to a sad and premature end. Now, he is the God of the universe in human flesh who voluntarily inserted himself under the control of human powers for a little while to jam them up and release another type of leadership out into the world. I mean, think about it. There's never, ever been another leader quite like him. He willingly laid down his life for his sheep, and then he freely took his life back up again, which is important, because we don't just need leaders who are kind, but also leaders who are strong. We, we yes, need someone we can trust, but we also need someone who really can get the job done. And this is who Jesus is. Now, of course, the widespread view in our city would be very different to this, wouldn't it? 
Very few people out there right now believe that Jesus points the way to a better life. To, to most people, he's outdated and is for the intellectually naive. But have you ever read the Gospels? Have you read them all the way through, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then considered, just for a moment, what the world would be like if we simply submitted to Jesus? Unlike all the hired hands in our culture, Jesus spent his life tending to the flock, strengthening the weak, healing the sick, bringing back the strays, seeking and saving the lost. His leadership is one of washing feet and welcoming in outcasts and blessing and loving those with sexual brokenness, bringing together the most culturally diverse group you could ever imagine, political terrorists and zealots, tax collectors, but those who'd betrayed the empire, teenage fishermen. He gathers them all together into this brand new humanity, all of them willing to submit their story under his leadership. I'll say it again, there has never, ever been a leader quite like Jesus. Which I think is why so many of us are gathered in this room right now. We, I don't think, have been chased here by guilt or by fear or by condemnation or by coercion. No, we've been brought into a relationship with Jesus that's producing peace and acceptance and rest. This is the story of so many people in this room, and it's certainly my story. I, I, I think where I'd be if I hadn't let Jesus lead me. I, I tell you, if I had just followed my desires and my ambitions, if I'd been my own shepherd and done whatever I wanted, there would certainly be no peace in my life. No still waters. Instead, there'd be the shadow of the valley of death with absolutely no comfort. There'd be constant war with my enemies and no banquet laid out in their presence. Life under my own leadership would be hard. It would be exhausting. Ultimately, it would be doomed to failure. But that's not the script of my life anymore. In submitting to Jesus... I've found freedom. I've found hope. I've found a sense of purpose. I've found a call that's a bit better, a bit higher. I've found this loving community of people, my family, my home. And that's not just my story. That's the story of so many of us in this room who have given their lives to following the leadership of Jesus. Now, don't hear me wrong. In many respects, it's a harder life. It really is. But it's absolutely a better life. And I, for one, would not swap it for the world. Even though, by disposition, I'm ever so slightly suspicious. Even though there are parts of me that fear being hurt and let down. Even though at times it is hard to trust others, through all of that, I hear Jesus' voice and his invitation. And I tell you what, 
It sounds like refreshingly good news. Just let it sink in. Jesus sees our plight. He sought to save us. He, he died on the cross to take away our sin and our shame, to deal with all of our cynicism and our doubt and our despair. And then he rose again, hallelujah. And life under his leadership, it is just an extraordinary. But all that being said, it's crucial to grasp that this isn't an invitation to follow Jesus just in isolation, just me and Jesus. Now, the second thing that, that Peter kind of touches, out on, touches on and shows us here in this passage is that the call to follow Jesus is very much an invitation to follow Jesus as members of the flock. One of the most striking stories, you might remember it, Jesus told the story of the shepherd who left the 99 sheep in the fold in order to find the one lone sheep who was missing. Why? Because any shepherd worth his salt knows that his sheep are vulnerable and in danger when they're isolated and alone. Listen, even as followers of Jesus, we might like to think that we can still at times lead ourselves and that our independence is to be celebrated. But Jesus is pretty clear that it is not going to end well for us, which is why the shepherd is so intent to go searching for the sheep that had wandered off by itself. Now, here's the thing. If you're familiar with that parable, that story, what did the shepherd do when he found the sheep? Did he remain kind of out there in the wilderness, camping with the sheep, just the two of them? No, he brought the sheep back into the fold, into the flock. You know, Jesus did not go to such lengths to rescue us in order for us to then follow him all by ourselves. No, his design for us isn't isolation or individualism because we are incredibly vulnerable when we are alone. Which kind of explains the strong emphasis all the way through the New Testament on us being together. And why Peter here in this passage just assumes that we'll be part of a flock, members of a church, where we'll be cared for and protected. And so first and foremost, Peter invites us to follow Jesus, the chief shepherd, uh, and by implication for us to be members of his flock, before thirdly and finally inviting us to come under the care of the elders who act as under-shepherds in his flock. To a church who are facing incredible opposition, of all the things that Peter could focus on, he chooses to highlight the crucial role of Christ-like elders in shepherding his people You see, in Peter's mind, eldership was vitally important because he knows that without godly leadership to care for the church, then one by one, slowly but surely, Christians will be picked off and will drift away. And you know what? Over the years, nothing has changed there. Whatever challenges you are facing right now, you desperately need shepherds who are servant-hearted and sacrificial who care deeply and produce valued followers, who in their leadership model and empower and release others, shepherds who are patient and kind and gracious, 
with those who need care. Shepherds who create freeing, life-giving environments where people are known and accepted, where there's trust, where there's truth, where there's love. Now put it like that. You begin to see why appointing elders is not a casual thing. It is something to be ferociously celebrated. One of the most precious gifts that Jesus gives to the church is elders who humbly follow his lead and willingly lay down their lives for the care of his flock. And I don't want you to miss this. I want you to see what a significant thing we're doing in setting apart seven new elders. This is absolutely massive for us as a church. It's for our well-being. It's for our good. And it's going to lead us more and more into a blessed future. All that being said, as I try and wrap all of this up, as I draw this to a close, I think the question every single one of us, wherever you're at, whatever your background, the question we all need to answer is this. Who am I following? Right, right, right now, who am I following? Because as we've seen, if you're not consciously following someone, subconsciously you are being led by someone else. The question is, who is it? And where are they leading you? Are you being led by the culture? Are you being led by religion? Are you being led by yourself? Or are you being led by Jesus? Jesus, as we've seen, he laid down his life for you and wants to lead you into a future that is infinitely better than you could possibly imagine. As we've said, it's almost certainly not going to be an easy future. It's incredibly hard to go against the culture. Some of the stories I shared earlier from this last week, this is real, could cost you your life. But it's a life of depth, it's a life of meaning, it's a life of joy. It's a life of purpose. Maybe you're here today and, I don't know, perhaps for the first time, through all your natural suspicion, you are finding yourself resonating with this message. You see in Jesus someone that you want to follow. I'd encourage you today to respond to this message. You know, my life was changed in a meeting a bit like this, where it just seemed to fall into place and make sense best decision I've ever made. I decided to surrender my life to Jesus and follow him. If today you want to move from the toxic leadership of the culture into the life-giving, loving leadership of Jesus, just in your own words, say, Jesus, here I am. I surrender my life to you. Please, would you be my shepherd? Or maybe you're here and Truth be told, you you hear all this stuff about the church and you're just a bit cynical about the church. For whatever reason, you you, you still struggle to see the point. I don't know, maybe it's because of bad experiences you've had in the past. Maybe it's because more than you'd care to admit, you've been shaped by the individualism of our culture. Maybe it's because deep down there's a fear of commitment or maybe a fear of being rejected. Today, I want to appeal to you to come home. Would you find a place to belong? Not merely attend, but belong. Do you throw in your all and join the flock? 
Do you place yourself under the care of Christ's under-shepherds, who in his kindness, he's provided for your protection and your well-being?